It's really one government, isn't it, really? It doesn't matter about the names of presidents and prime ministers or, or even dictators in some cases across this world. They're all on board with the same agenda to bring in a totalitarian world state with a reduced population because they keep harping on about it from the top, from the, from the Department of Population at the United Nations. They've all signed the treaties with the United Nations to go ahead with all these agendas. How do you think they're going to make it all happen? Well, we're living through it right now and have been for a while. Back with more about this after this break. agenda, passing all the same laws, really copies of each other, which they must have signed at some UN agreement some many years ago. And we think that's all there is to it, is terrorism, etc. Something that, that's slightly, slightly, however remotely plausible. And we swallow that to allow governments to take over our lives, basically, all, all parts of our lives, right down to your, your home and what you do and who you talk to. And they keep records and all of this stuff and who you write to and email, and text, and all the rest of it. That all came out of the farce of 2001. There must be happening that kicked it all off. The Jacqueline Boaz towers going down. And there's no doubt about it that for years before 2001, in the 20th century, academia was talking about the coming century of change. Philosophers were talking about it at the beginning of the 1900s. The millennium, the millennium, the millennium. Books were written on it. All the predictions that they foresaw that would come to pass. And we went through the bloodiest century of all in the 20th century. And what was all that for? It was to bring in a global government. I've gone through some of the history of the group that has a whole network of other groups working for it that now is called the Royal Institute for International Affairs and when it started it set up the League of Nations it needed a world war, World War One, called the Great War why do you think they called it the Great War? Grand, the Grand War kind of like the Grand Lodge isn't it? But, but that was to bring the whole world in on something so that we'd all be under one global control and commercial system coupled with free trade, with all its restrictions on it. Because free trade is not about free trade, it's about limited trade. Who gets to trade? What corporations will be allowed to trade? That's really what it's all about. And it's a very old idea, going back through the history of London. And the League of Nations kind of started off, and again, big promoters at the time for this particular group. It's called the Council on Foreign Relations in the US. Some of them wrote about it and how they were now bypassing governments and petty bureaucracies because they'd have appointed people from every country to this League of Nations and they would make their own decisions and make it binding by law that every country that signed on treaties would have to obey those treaties. But they didn't have a world army. That was one of the things they had to eventually get get up to scratch. 
during World War II. That's why World War II came along, by the way. It's part of the reason. The big news clips that came out of Path News and the big news teams called it United Nations are now going for broke. They're going to invade and blah, blah, blah. United Nations, United Nations. And out of that, we get the United Nations of the day. And they're supposed to preside eventually over three vast trading blocks of the world. They're supposed to compete with each other. Karl Marx came up with the idea first. At least he printed it for the public to see. Three trading blocks. United Europe, followed by United Americas, and, and an eastern, far eastern Pacific Rim conglomerate. Each with a government. Which would be like a, and each, each, each group would be like a, a province under this global government in the United Nations. That was the whole idea of it. Two world wars and lots of butchery after the world wars as we went through South America and everywhere else, standardizing really an economic system. The same economic system, central banking, had to come in. Money and debt, etc. Because it's a, a massive tool, it's a weapon, fantastic weapon to use on any country or group of countries. And, and part of it, too, was to do with a manageable population across the world. What would they need? Do you realize that men actually created the Industrial Revolution? Most folk don't even know it. That a group of men in a club, in a club in the 1700s, who met every month with the top bankers of Europe and diplomats from abroad, sat with scientists and designed the entire and coming, up and coming industrial revolution. And what kind of culture it create to go along with it, to make the culture serve the economy. And that wasn't the, the only time since it's been done since then. I've mentioned Alexander King of the Club of Rome. What impressed him so much was the same club had met and created this industrial era with all of his big guns and the massive wars that it would feed off down through the rest of history to the present. He knew that. And he formed his own. He didn't just form his own. I mean, this guy had made a career, literally, of working with big chemical companies and the British war institutions and high explosives and weaponry and so on. Then suddenly, suddenly, after retirement, actually, he sets up the Club of Rome. He'd also worked with the U.S., with the Pentagon and others. And here he is coming out with uh, depopulation as a, as a necessity, sterilization as a necessity. And how would we do it? And he and his little think tank came up, well-funded think tank, came up with the idea of global warming and blaming man as being the enemy of the planet. And he even wrote about it in his own book, The First Global Revolution. He said that would fit the bill. That would fit the bill to bring the whole world under the thumb of world government, basically. And it hasn't stopped. So since 2001, we've had one incredible crisis after another. Incredible crisis after another getting cleaned up with the banks and then our tax money and all of your great-grandchildren signed down 
as guarantors to pay off the debts to bail out the bankers. Why keep a system that's totally corrupt in the first place? Amazing, isn't it? And not only that, the governments, when they ask where the money went that they gave the bankers, it's not a loan, by the way, it's a gift. The bankers turn around and say, well, we don't have to tell you. So it's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. And then the bird flu that was supposed to kill us off didn't materialize. And then they'll go into action right after the banking crisis. Right after it, oh, oh, there's a swine flu coming. A swine flu. And they've militarized the medical industry. When you get military in cahoots with pharma, you've militarized an industry. Here that are the industries taking on the military as their bully boys to force us all to take the shots. That's quite the power to have, isn't it? Where private corporations that dream up all these panics can get the military to enforce that you take their shots. That's power. But then again, money is power, isn't it? Anything below the guys who control the money is, is almost irrelevant, including the tops of your governments. They're only yes-men to the guys that can sink your country overnight by withdrawing loans and so on. That's why Rothschild said, give me the power to control money, and I, and I care not who, who makes the laws. Because obviously, he would make the laws. Because everybody comes to him for loans, including the government. Quite the power. And to be honest with you, the more you study in to the big pharma industries and all of the incredible con games that have pulled off down through time, and getting away with even today with in so many areas, then you can't trust them on anything. And you certainly can't trust them when it comes down to something that's so ghostly and wispy and phantom-like, like a, a mild flu, as far as we all know, that have whipped out of all proportion and lied and been caught lying and time after time after time. What's, what's the big deal? Is it just money? That'll satisfy a lot of people. Well, they're just greedy. These guys have more money than you could, you know, shake a fist at. There's more to it than this. There'll be side effects that are not side effects at all. They'll be the prime objectives. Guarantee you. It's no coincidence that since the massive inoculation programs have, have really escalated over the years, autism has skyrocketed. Childhood arthritis has appeared and skyrocketed. Didn't occur before. Asthma like crazy, total allergy syndromes. What's an allergy syndrome? What's all these syndromes that are autoimmune problems? Your immune system is being destroyed by something that's introduced to your body to destroy it. Weaponized. It's weaponized. What interferes with your immune system? That's what vaccinations are supposed to do. The World Health Organization, remember, admitted that they had given out millions of doses of free, supposedly free, tetanus shots to Africans and people in India, women only. And uh, they all became sterile. And the excuse was that somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it. They, they won't do it themselves. See, we're so far advanced now, you don't have to go the old-fashioned way. 
in the old-fashioned way, still used in authorized torture when they cut certain parts of you off. But they're far more advanced in this caring era. When it comes to sterilization, they can use chemicals on animals now too. That's an old thing. And since they keep harping on at the World Health Organization, remember that's only part of the United Nations, and another part is the Department on Population Studies and Control. They want to help you and make you immune, and at the same time they want you to kill you. Now, which is it? They want us healthy till we die, as long as we're sterile. I wish to explain this to us. Back with more after this break. Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix where we try to make sense of the barrage of fear and fear-mongering that's thrown at us every day from the media. With all of this confusion, because part of the technique in psychological warfare is to get the average person who's trying to make sense of something to go into a state of confusion with conflicting reports on things. And then you give up eventually, and then you go with the experts saying it, but they must be right. I can't figure this out. That's what you say. Simple technique. But this article here is one of the few ones I've seen that try and explain anything at all outside the usual propaganda about the flu and the vaccines that I've seen. It's from the Spiegel online, and this is from the 21st of, the, of July. It says the whole industry is waiting for a pandemic. The world has been gripped with fears of swine flu in recent weeks. In an interview with Spiegel, epidemiologist Tom Jefferson speaks about dangerous fear-mongering, misguided money-driven research and why we should all be washing our hands a lot more often. And he was asked, is this Mr. Jefferson was asked, are you, are you and your family taking any precautions? And he, he jokes back, I wash my hands very often. And it's not all because of swine flu. That's probably the most effective precaution there is against all respiratory viruses and the majority of gastrointestinal viruses and the germs as well. In other words, it's common sense, isn't it? He's asked, do you consider the swine flu to be particularly worrisome? He says... It's true that influenza viruses are unpredictable, so it does call for a certain degree of caution, but one of the extraordinary features of this influenza and the whole influenza saga is that there are some people who make predictions year after year. That's the CDC and the World Health Organization, and they get worse and worse. None of them so far have come about. All the predictions have come to nothing. And these people are still there making these predictions. Same people. For example, what happened to the bird flu? which was supposed to kill us all. Nothing. But that doesn't... Mind, mind, you can go further back, and I'll add this to it. Remember the AIDS thing? We're all supposed to be dead by AIDS a, a few years ago. That's from the World Health Organization, too. It says, but that doesn't stop these people from always making their predictions. Sometimes you get the feeling there's a whole industry almost waiting for a pan pandemic to occur. Speaking of some, who do you mean? The World Health Organization... Jefferson answers, yes, the World Health Organization and public health officials, virologists and the pharmaceutical companies, they've built this machine around the impending, impending pandemic. 
and there's a lot of money involved and influence and careers and entire institutions. That's their whole their whole lifelong careers, these institutions and the fear-mongering industry, because they all get incredible lump sums of money given to them. Each time they shout, panic, panic. It's all free. And, says, and, it, and all it took was one of these influenza viruses to mutate to start the machine grinding. It says, Spiegel says, on your Italian homepage, there's a pandemic countdown that expires on April the 1st. Don't you think the situation calls for just a bit more seriousness? Jefferson says, I'm just using it ironically to expose the false certainty that we are fed. Will one-third of the world's population get swine flu? Nobody can say for sure right now. For now, at least, I don't really see any fundamental difference, no difference in the definition between this and a normal flu epidemic. Swine flu could have even stayed unnoticed if it had been caused by some unknown virus rather than an influenza virus. See, the public, again, are kept in the dark about these things. There's, there's thousands of different kinds of viruses out there, normally, all the time. Spiegel says, do you think the WHO, the World Health Organization, declared a pandemic prematurely? Jefferson says, don't you think there's something noteworthy about the fact that the WHO has changed its definition of pandemic? See, that's another thing we've done. <laughs> the old definition was a new virus, which went around quickly, for which you didn't have immunity, and which created a high morbidity and mortality rates. Now, see, that was the old one. It went around quickly, and you didn't have immunity. Everyone who's supposed to, supposed to have got this recent swine flu, almost everyone is, is, is over it in a day or two. That's what we've been told. I haven't met anybody that's had it. And even though Britain keeps saying it's spreading by the thousands per day, I'm in touch with people from Britain, so are there are people I know, and they don't know anybody who's got it either. It's all hype. But even if you're supposed to get the, the little mild flu, which could be anything at all, like the scientist is saying, to, saying here, it could be any other kind of virus that you commonly get, and you get over it. It could be a little sniffle on the nose, nothing more. It could be about a hay fever, because that's how we're diagnosing everything now. It's not with swab tests. It says, now, the last two have been dropped, the last two definitions for a, a pandemic. And that's how the swine flu has been categorized now as pandemic. They've taken the other two uh, primal things that had to have with it to be a pandemic. They've taken them off. Spiegel says, but year after year, 10,000 to 30,000 people in Germany alone die from influenza. In the Western world, influenza is the most deadly infectious disease there is. This is a Spiegel talking. Jefferson says, hold on. These figures are nothing more than estimates. More than anything, you have to distinguish between an influenza-like illness and a genuine flu, the real influenza. Both of them have the same symptoms, a sudden high fever, a sore throat, coughing, rheumatic pain in the back and legs possible bronchitis and pneumonia. But real flus, real influenzas, are only caused by influenza viruses. So there are more than 200 viruses that cause influenza-like illnesses. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
and Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix trying to get the bottom of all this virus stuff that they're talking about here. Because in the regular media, the last month or so or more, we've had nothing but hype of how constant they are they've identified this virus and so on. And it's all made up fiction. This article from the Spiegel, they're talking to Jefferson, who's an uh, epidemiologist, is giving you another side of things that they, they don't like the public to know. And he says here, but real flus, real influenzas are only caused by influenza viruses, while there are more than 200 different viruses that cause influenza-like illness. When it comes to figures related to so-called flu deaths, you always get other causes of death caused by other viruses mixed in with the same patient. Now, in the case of elderly people who die of pneumonia, nobody would do a post-mortem to figure out if it was really an influenza virus that killed them. They'll just put them down to it. It says approximately 7% of influenza-like illness causes or cases are caused by influenza viruses. Only 7% of influenza-like illness is caused by influenza virus. This is a very small percentage. What I know is that real influenza is systematically overestimated. Then he's asked about the other 200 kinds of viruses. He said they're not as popular as, listen to this, they're not as popular as influenza. Researchers are just not as interested in that. Take rhinovirus, a horse-derived virus. It's the most commonly isolated agent in common colds. There are a hundred different types of these rhinoviruses. They usually only cause our normal runny nose, but they can be deadly too. Or so-called RSV, the human respiratory syncytial virus that is highly dangerous to infants and small children. So he's asked, why aren't the researchers interested in that? He says, it's easy. They can't make money with it. With rhinoviruses, RSV, and the majority of the other viruses, it's hard to make a lot of money or a career out of it. Remember, these scientists make their careers out of it till their pensions come in. Against influenza, though, there are vaccines, and there are drugs you can sell, and that's where the big money from the pharmaceuticals industry is. It makes sure that research on influenza is published in the good journals, and that's why you have more attention being paid there. An entire research field becomes interesting for ambitious scientists. So, this goes on and on and on. And it's worth reading. Because it does show you there's another side that counters the propaganda, and that's what we're getting, is organized concerted propaganda for a reason and it's not just money it's not just money and when we look at other news media like the Washington Post it's an article here in page 2 of this article that they talk about the, the coming shots etc they're going to give everybody in the age groups etc then it says here some of the vaccine will be stored in multi-dose vials containing thimerosal, an antibacterial additive that contains mercury. But there will also be single-dose syringes without thimerosal, a substance that some assert is harmful to children. It's interesting, this whole debate with the mercury, because here they are admitting they've got the mercury in the shots, as they always have, even though they said they'd taken them out a long time ago. But guess who will be getting the multi-shot? That's when they, they use the same bottle 
and they swab the top of it and suck out so much per syringe and inject you. That's for the masses, you see. The Ivy League bunch will get the single shot, those ones that don't have the mercury in it. That's what they generally do. You wait and see. You wait and see. The multi-dose bottles goes to the, the ordinary schools at the bottom. But, but that's not all there is to it. The mercury, there's a lot more worse things. These adjuvants and all the rest of it they have in them. Remember, these are made by industries that work closely, if not completely hand-in-hand hand with the warfare industry. Who else are the experts on biowarfare except companies that have all of these bacteriums and viruses and actually mutate them for predicted coming diseases? Well, that's biowarfare. So there's far more in it than just the mercury. Don't dismiss the mercury, certainly not. And in fact, if you go to the Center for Disease Control, it's called ATSDR. I'll give you the links. All these links will be on my site at the end of the show, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Just scroll down that front page to the present show, and you'll see the links of tonight's topics. The STSDR is interesting because it's part of the CDC. And you can scroll down on this link that I'll give you, and it tells you all about mercury and how dangerous it is. This is from the CDC. They want you to take this flu shot with the mercury in it. And it's astonishing. This is, a, this is um, exposure to mercury occurs from breathing contaminated air, ingested contaminated food and water, and having dental and medical treatments. Mercury at high levels may damage the brain, kidneys, and developing fetus. They want to give pregnant women it. <laughs> what does that tell you? This chemical has been found in at least 714 of 1,467 national priorities list sites identified by the Environmental Protection Agency. Then it goes down to tell you what it does to the body and how it gets into the environment around it too. And even eating fish contaminated with it, it could be lethal. Then how does it affect my health? The nervous system is very sensitive to all forms of mercury. Methyl mercury and metallic mercury vapors are more harmful than other forms because their mercury in these forms reaches the brain. That's why they put it in, the, in these wonderful new light bulbs. It's, it's a mercury, va mercury vapor. So don't breathe. If you ever run out of the house before you can breathe. Whatever you do, don't breathe in that stuff. <laughs> Exposure to high levels of metallic, inorganic, or organic mercury can permanently damage the brain kidneys and developing fetus effects on brain functioning may result in irritability, shyness, tremors, changes in vision or hearing and memory problems. Short-term exposure at high levels of metallic mercury vapors may cause effects including lung damage, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, increases in blood pressure or heart rate, skin rashes and eye irritation. I think it's on about cancer. And how does it affect children? Very young children are more sensitive to mercury than adults. Mercury in the mother's body passes to the fetus and may accumulate there. Is that why they want to give it to the pregnant woman? It can also pass to a nursing infant through breast milk. However, the benefits of breastfeeding may be greater than the possible adverse effects of mercury in breast milk. Okay, your, babies, your baby will live longer, but it will be autistic you know, or brain damage. Mercury's harmful effects that may be passed from the mother to the fetus include brain damage. It's right here. Mental retardation, incoordination, blindness, seizures, and inability to speak. You know, like, like autism, you know. 
children poisoned by mercury may develop problems of their nervous and digestive systems and have kidney damage. I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in, you know, just to let you see. It's from the CDC's own website, the ATSDR. I'll put this link up for you to read. After they've admitted in the Washington Times, we've got thimerosal with mercury in it for these coming shots. Isn't that just wonderful? Just wonderful. And here in Canada, the Globe and Mail says this, uh, uh, mass health worker absenteeism feared. Doctors and nurses' aversion to flu shots in dangerous plan to vaccinate them first so they were able to treat others. This is from the Globe and Mail. And it was the 22nd of July. Hospital workers are supposed to be first in line for any pandemic influenza vaccine so they can keep Canadian hospitals running during an outbreak. But that strategy hinges on workers agreeing to take an unproven vaccine for an uncertain threat. I like the way the word it It's true, isn't it? Across Canada, somewhere between 40 and 60% of healthcare workers opt for a flu shot each season despite extensive efforts to persuade the entire workforce to get immunized. In normal flu season, that's not a major problem. But in a serious outbreak uh, uh, of H1N1, the unwillingness of large numbers of doctors, nurses, paramedics and others could lead to soaring absenteeism rates, draining the healthcare system of workers just as they needed, are needed most. Faced with lesser risk, Canadian health officials have tried to make flu shots mandatory, but those efforts have typically failed with the rights of the individual trumping any broader societal concern. That may leave the state of Canada's healthcare system dependent on voluntary efforts that have so far proven unable to spur healthcare workers to get flu shots. So they're trying to get everybody again through mandatory inoculations and so on in on this act here. But at least in Canada, they've got enough sense because I'm sure they've read enough data about past effects of various other flu shots and so on. And that's a fact. They do get that stuff that's not given to the public. We're never, the public are never given the, the dangers. It was the same with the last swine flu scare. And that's all it was. Literally, when the media stopped hyping that swine flu scare years and years ago, it disappeared. It was gone. Never to be talked about or heard about again till now. It was all a media-created hype. But hundreds of young people came down with incredible diseases from the shots and paralysis to brain damage, strokes incredible and here they are at it again quite something and people think the big pharma is just out for money and they believe all the drug ads I mean we live in an, an, we our whole culture has been created for us from Bernays onwards, from the youth to the, to the elderly, you're targeted with advertising and propaganda. We live in nothing more than commerce and propaganda. That's what we live in constantly. And people believe all the drug ads are out there thinking, oh, this is wonderful and, uh, and everything's so, so tested and there to help me. You'd be surprised at the lawsuits that are ongoing all the time about so many of these drugs out there. And you'd be surprised, I've seen that the CBC did a, a documentary on how pharma gets the experts, you know, the, the guys with names to write good reports on drugs and omits all the negative uh, effects of drugs. 
They do this. They make professions on it. This article here is from Health and Wellness, July 17, 2009, posted by Bruce Levine, Alternet. It's from Alternet, actually, this one. And it says here, it says, uh, the wave of evil washes not only the financial industrial complex, the military industrial complex, the energy industrial complex, and predatory executives at, at AIG, Citibank, Halliburton, Blackwater, etc. The pharmaceutical industrial complex has virtually annexed the mental health profession, whose all-star opportunist team is captained by Harvard psychiatrist Joseph Biederman, the high-profile doctor most responsible for the explosion of children on psychiatric drugs first for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and then for bipolar disorder. This is the guy who championed all this and got it all going. Joseph Biederman, Harvard psychiatrist. And then, of course, the psychiatric, psychiatric profession just love new terms and disorders. At least makes their book look thicker, you know, and, and more convincing. It says here, in 2008, Biederman was nailed by congressional investigators for taking $1.6 million from drug makers from 2000 to 2007. That's not a bad take, from eh? And failing to report most of this loot to his university, a major conflict of interest and violation of the rules. In a February 26, 2009 deposition given by Biederman to several state's attorneys, who are claiming that makers of anti-psychotic drugs defrauded state Medicaid programs by improperly marketing their medicines. Biederman was asked what rank he held at Harvard. This is what he says, full professor. And he was asked, what's after that? He says, God. God, Biederman responded. Did you say God, Trammell asked? Yeah, Biederman said. As part of this legal proceeding, Biederman was forced to provide documents relating to his interactions with Johnson & Johnson, the giant pharmaceutical company. These documents included presentations he made over several years summarizing the work of his center financed by Johnson & Johnson. On March the 20th, 2009, the New York Times reported that Biederman pitched Johnson & Johnson, this is what he told Johnson & Johnson, that his, pro his proposed research studies on its antipsychotic drug, Risperdal, would turn out favorably for Johnson & Johnson. In other words, Johnson & Johnson's, if you give me a kickback, I guarantee a good report, right? So he proposed that research studies on antipsychotic drugs, Risperdal, would turn out favorably for Johnson & Johnson, and then Biederman delivered the goods. The Times reported that in 2005, Biederman proposed a study on adolescents using the, the ADHD drug Concerta, manufactured by Johnson & Johnson, and he assured the company that his study would extend to, to adolescents' positive findings with Concerta. That's how they worded it, you see. And in 2006, Biederman was co-author of a study showing that children given Concerta for a prolonged period did not have reduced growth, allaying a significant concern about the medicine, but in, in contradiction to what has now been established. See, that's what they do when, it, when you start getting surveys coming back on, on side effects and so on. And that was one of them, was stunted growth, so it was actually a shrinking in the brain. So they pull out guys like Biederman to do favorable reports, and deny it. But even that was overturned in contradiction to what's now been established. For decades, the majority of American doctors, mental health professionals, the media, and the general public have yielded to the disseminations of Harvard psychiatrist Joseph Biederman, who successfully evangelized 
up for more children and younger children to be medicated with powerful psychiatric drugs. Now, the other day I, I talked about articles from Huxley's and many others. And remember, Julian Huxley was the, was the CEO, first CEO of, of uh, UNESCO to bring in a common culture for children. But they all talked so about using big pharma to drug and compliance and using psychological methods too of indoctrination. So indoctrination through psychology, mind control, if you like, and pharma was to be the key. And here's guys like Biederman doing exactly that. Turned it upside down. Now it's normal to medicate young boys, especially young boys. Gets them out of the picture. They're, they're no hassle in the future. Blowback from ADH drugs is reported in the current July 2009 Scientific American Mind article, Do ADHD Drugs Take a Toll on the Brain? A comprehensive report of the long-term dangers of ADHD drugs such as Ritalin, Concerta, Adderall, and Vivans. The Centers for Disease Control estimated 2005 that 9% of boys and 4% of girls in the U.S. were taking ADHD stimulant medications. And according to a 2000 study, ADHD drug prescriptions rose by almost 12% a year between 2000 and 2005. Amazing, eh? How the big boys get their way. It won't stop, though. It won't stop because that's the part of the agenda. Back with more after this break. through the matrix, trying to make sense of the non-comprehensible, the way that the media throws everything at us from all different angles, so we're utterly confused and basically mentally collapse and allow ourselves to be led by the hand of government to the experts. And I think we'll try the phones now. We're, we're, this hour just flies in. It's just incredible. We'll try Ronnie in California. Are you there, Ronnie? Yeah, hey, how's it going on? Not so bad. Um, I want to ask you a question. Have you seen that, um, it, like many documentary on the History Channel called That's Impossible? Yes, I put it up on my site, in fact, till last week, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So I, do you see that eternal life about the nanobots and how they've been putting little, many, like, nano-sized robots that are, you know, a million times uh, thinner than the human hair yeah. inside, like, vaccines and and. And they can, uh, I mean, I don't, they didn't say they put inside vaccine, but they can, and they've been doing it uh, on rats. They, you know, they claim it's they actually worse than rats. that. I've got documentation from, there's an association of um, companies that deal with nanotechnology for the food industry. Wow. And I've got uh, their meetings, uh, the minutes of their meetings here from the late 90s, by the way, uh, up to the present, and how they were going to get the public to accept this, and even talking about putting it in without having to inform the public. So they've already been putting the darn stuff in our food. Yeah, man. That, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I can't understand how, you know, like I was showing my parents, because, you know, my parents are kind of skeptical about, you know, the government and stuff like that, but, you know, they don't get, you know, deep into the rabbit hole like I do. And, I, I mean, I was showing my dad, and he, he couldn't believe it. You know, yeah. he, he thought it, it was, you know, I'm telling this is a history channel. You know, this is mainline, you know, 100%, you know, uh, supposed to be fact. Yes. 
and you know they had the you know the scientists right there just showing the examinations and, and showing the you know documentation of what they've been doing and talking about how they're going to do it. It's just like oh my god. Yes. Yeah. What happens to us at the bottom has many different functions and there's different levels of science working. The top two levels they never tell us what they're doing, even with the shots. But the bottom level of science we're given all this garbage, but the top two levels uh, is, is will be classified for 50 years. They won't tell us what else they'll put in these shots. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and so I, I'm, you know, there's no question that 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 uh, swine flu vaccine is going to have you know something of this type where you know, I mean, they can literally program these robots to activate whenever they want, yeah. go after whatever you know. They can put the they can put you know um, they can make it respond specifically to you know whatever they want. It's, it's unbelievable, man. Well, well, literally, literally, they could give you a shot, and in ten years' time, if you just got a common yeah. cold, that could trigger it off. Right. You're right. It's that precise, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for your uh, work and everything you do, man. Keep it up. Thanks for calling. And there's Anthony in North Carolina. Are you there, Anthony? Yes, uh, Alan. Uh, you know, perfectly the whole topic you've been talking about tonight. Um, you know, we really do live in a society that's like uh, out of Huxley's Brave New World. Yes, we do, yeah. I mean, you know, whether it's not pharmaceutical pushing stuff on you, but think about it. Every day of the week, uh, people go out, they do their job Monday through Friday, and they go out and they get drunk or whatever, yep. and that is a stigma. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what's being encouraged. That's what's being encouraged in all countries. Uh, again, from the top, mass advertising. This is your culture. Party at the weekend. Don't think about anything serious, and don't get involved in politics. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And two, I, uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Barack Obama came here to speak. And uh, some of my friends, they were just totally, like, mesmerized. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would challenge them with stuff, and they didn't even have anything to say back. You're right. But that's, that's the end of the show for it, honestly. So, but you're right enough, though. That's how they are. They give them the stars, and they follow them. But they all read scripts anyway. From Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you. Thank you.